Welcome to another Apollo Papyrus episode. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. If you're a fan of the Lone Ranger franchise, you're going to love this episode because the interview guest for this episode has written two historical fiction books, the latter of which, Yesteryear, is based on the story of Fran Stryker, the creator of the Lone Ranger character. Today's interview guest is Stephen Awanu, who is the author of Yesteryear, as well as the historical fiction book, Rook. Stephen Iwanu, welcome to Apollo Papyrus. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, my name is uh, Steve Iwanu, and I am a fiction writer based in Buffalo, New York. Um, my second novel, titled Yesteryear, came out uh, this past October, and it's the story of how I imagined how Fran Stryker came up with the character, the Lone Ranger in 1932 for a radio play that he was writing. Uh, you mentioned uh, your uh, his historical fiction novel yesteryear, but you've also written uh, another historical fiction book titled Rook. Uh, without spoiling too much of either book, what are both of those books about? <sighs> Well, uh, my first book was called Muscle Cars, and that was a short story collection that came out in 2015. And after that book came out and I was kind of looking back and just kind of thinking about the book and rereading it, you know, from a different lens, I realized that what I was really doing in that short story collection was writing about the people and places of my hometown of Buffalo, New York. Um, whether I was doing that consciously or subconsciously. So either even the stories that aren't specifically mentioned that they're set in Buffalo, if you're from here, you'd recognize landmarks like uh, Forest Long Cemetery and Volker's Bowling Alley and places like that. And so I, once I realized that, I figured, you know, I, I want to carve out Buffalo as my kind of literary turf to explore, kind of the way... Uh, William Kennedy did with Albany, New York, with his Albany trilogy, and uh, even Stephen King with with the state of Maine. Um, so I started exploring Buffalo and its history, and I came across a newspaper article um, about a man named Al Nussbaum. And Al grew up in the 50s, um, married his high school sweetheart, was an entrepreneur with several businesses, and occasionally he'd tell his wife that he was going out of town for work. Uh, but Al's real work was robbing banks. And he robbed about a half dozen before his wife or the FBI knew what he was up to. Um, so that became the premise of my first novel, Rook. And that came out in 2022. And yesteryear, uh, another Buffalo story about another Buffalo guy. I was at a bar or a party and somebody mentioned to me that the man who wrote The Lone Ranger was from Buffalo. And I said, that can't be true. I would have heard about it by now. Uh, yeah, Buffalo is a very good town about celebrating any artist that has any, any attachment to Buffalo. And I never heard of this Fran Stryker guy. And so I, I Googled it. And, and sure enough, not only did Fran Stryker, uh, born and raised in Buffalo, he grew up in my neighborhood. Um, and then I found, I was thinking, well, how come I don't know about this man? And I think the reason why is, is he sold the rights to the Lone Ranger for $10 before the Lone Ranger exploded. And of course, he missed out on, on millions. And, and once I, I 
found that fact, I go, you know what, there's a book here that, uh, that I really want to explore and write. And that became yesteryear. Now, how long did it take you to research uh, Fran Stryker's real-life story for uh, your historical fiction novel, Yesteryear? It took about a year. Um, I didn't really set any time limits, like I'm going to research it for a year and then start drafting or anything like that. I just researched until I felt full, is the way I explained it. Until I felt like I had enough inside me to create an imaginary world of Buffalo in, in 1932 about this struggling radio playwright. Um, and my research consisted of um, articles and biographies, uh, but I was very lucky that when uh, Fran passed away in 1962 in a, a car accident, his estate left all his papers to uh, the University of Buffalo, which I graduated from, and I'm an alumni. So all his, there's about 30 cartons worth of work um, in the Special Collections Library. And I was able to go there and put on the white gloves and read through the, the type scripts from the Lone Ranger and read through telegrams and letters and um, memorabilia. And that was invaluable. Um, and once I felt full, that's when I started uh, started drafting. Now, were you interested in the Lone Ranger franchise a long time before writing Yesteryear, or did you become interested in the Lone Ranger while while doing the research and preparation for writing Yesteryear? Well, when I was a kid, I, I distinctly remember coming home from school and watching um, the, the Lone Ranger TV series in syndication. Um, and I remember, I and I still have it, in fact, in the basement, I had a, a rocking horse, which I, I named Silver. Um, but I was, I guess, just a casual fan and probably hadn't really thought much about the Lone Ranger, you know, since I was 10 or 12 years old. Um, but I tell people that I'm not really a Lone Ranger fan. Uh, I'm a, a Fran Stryker fan um, because he went through that you know, selling the rights for ten dollars uh, with such grace. Um, you know, he would tell people, "Look, you know," and he didn't do it because he was a a bad business person or or or, or was naive. He did it because he had about a dozen family members that he was supporting during the Great Depression. They were either physically living with him or he was supporting them financially, um, and he had never had a hit. And he was offered a job at WXYZ out of Detroit which was broadcasting the Lone Ranger series. And the offer was, hey, instead of sending me these Lone Ranger scripts and selling them to me for, you know, five and seven dollars a pop, come to Detroit, move your family. I'll give you a full time job, more money than you ever made. I'll guarantee you have a job during the depression so you can take care of your entire family. But in return, George W. Trendle, owner of WXYZ, wanted the rights to the Lone Ranger for ten dollars. And so Fran agreed because he thought it was the best for his family at the time. Obviously, he wasn't a risk taker. Um, and again, he missed out on a lot of fortune and fame. Uh, but what makes matters even worse, in the 1940s, after the Lone Ranger, of course, was a huge phenomenon, um, George W. Trendle started claiming in interviews and articles that he was the creator of the Lone Ranger, not Stryker. And there was even a story circulating at the time that 
Stryker didn't even join the WXYZ team until after the Ranger was on the air, which is, of course, isn't true. The Ranger is actually based on a old script that Stryker had written in 1930 uh, from a series called Covered Wagon Days. And he took episode number 10 and revised it and updated it with input from, from the WXYZ team to create the Ranger. So, you know, having, you know, missing out on the fortune, having this lie being circulated that he wasn't the writer, you would think it would make him bitter or angry. Um, but he handled the whole thing with a lot of grace. And he never complained. He never uh, confronted Stryker. Um, he said, hey, look, I, I signed a contract. I'm a grown man. I'm an adult. I did what I thought was best. Um, and I'll, I'll live with it. And he he carried himself so, so well. You know, I, I was just so impressed with him that I, I tell people I'm a Stryker fan, not a Ranger fan. You published Rook through unsolicited press, but you published yesteryear as well as uh, Muscle Cars through the Santa Fe Writers Project. Why did you use a different publisher for Rook than for your other works? Well, when I wrote Rook, I probably had three or four failed novels in the drawer and probably another another failed story, story collection in the drawer. So I was really gun-shy about writing a novel um, just because I had no success at it. So the first version of Rook was actually three connected novellas. Uh, one with that became really the, the plot for what Rook ended up being. The middle um, novella was Ale's Time in Prison, no spoilers. And then the third novella was what would become the epilogue of Rook. And I turned it into the Santa Fe Writers Project. And they said, look, just write the novel. You can do it. There's enough here. You're a good enough writer. Just sit down and rewrite it. And so I did. And as I was rewriting it, I realized that, you know, Al, the bank robber who had to leave his family um, and was on the run, um, his actions, you know, devastated his family and his young wife. And so what happened in that revision process is that the book became as much of his wife, Lolly's, as it did Al's. Uh, so the points of view and the chapters alternated um, between Lolly's point of view, the, the wife who was left at home to deal with neighbors and the FBI and not being able to get work because she was the bank robber's wife, as well as Al's life on the run. And so when I turned in that revision, um, Santa Fe said, you know, we have a different idea for this book a different direction. We want to make it more into a genre like bank robber novel. Um, and that wasn't a direction I was comfortable with. I really enjoyed Lolly's section of the book. And I think it makes it a, a more fuller, richer book that would appeal more to women writers as opposed to, I think, predominantly male writers that a, a genre like book that, SFWP envisioned would bring in. Um, so, you know, there wasn't any animosity. Um, we just said, okay, we have different thoughts about this book. Um, I will, I will, you know, shop it elsewhere. And, you know, we shook hands and, and parted as friends. 
Uh, but I really liked the, the team at SFWP. Um, and when I came to them with yesteryear, uh, they liked it immediately. Um, and they were just great to work with. And they're actually going to be publishing my next novel that comes out in 2025. That's called After Pearl. You have a it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a book slated for release next year called After Pearl. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Today's 2024, isn't it? Yeah, uh, next year already. Yeah, May of 2025. Uh, After Pearl will drop. Without spoiling too much of your upcome with of After Pearl, what will it be about? So I call Pearl my uh, pandemic novel, even though it has nothing to do with the pandemic. Uh, but I started it right before we were locked down and I finished it two years later. So we're still dealing with COVID. And it was the fastest of my books that I've written. And I think it was because we were locked down and there was no place to go and there's nothing to do after, you know, after work at five o'clock. Um so I was tired of Netflix. I was tired of watching bad movies about these tough private eyes that always get the girl and, you know, are the strongest and smartest. And, uh, you know, they beat everybody up. I said, what if I write a private eye novel um, about a terribly flawed person, um, physically handicapped, uh, alcoholic, um, has relationship issues, um, can, can I pull that off? Can I make a, a, a believable private eye? So it's set in 1942 after Pearl Harbor, which is, um, you know, where the title comes from in part. And it's about a private eye named Nicholas Bishop who wakes up on the floor of um, a hotel room after a five day uh, drinking binge. And he can't remember anything um, except there's been two shots fired from his gun. And the police want to talk to him about a missing singer. And that's how the novel opens. Um, while I was writing it, I was blogging during the, the lockdown. And I said, I blogged and I, I wrote that. I don't know if this book will ever be published. I was really writing it for myself because I was alone in a big old house with a little one-eyed dog, isolated. And it was just escapism for myself. And it was good for me. It was healthy. It was, you know, I had the TV off and the news off. And I blogged. I said, I don't know if this is ever going to be published, but this is what I need to do right now. Um, but I was lucky enough that that Santa Fe um, uh, thought it was thought it deserved to see the light of day. And like I said, that's coming out next May. If you have a typical writing routine, what is what is that like for you? Yeah, I don't really have a writing routine. I, I write from five in the morning till seven in the morning when I have to uh, get up and walk the dog and, and go to work. Um, so my routine for years um, was to get up at like quarter to five and then head upstairs to my office up in the attic. About halfway through writing Rook, it was a like a cold November morning. The house was cold. It was dark outside. Uh, if it was rain, if it wasn't raining, it should have been. Um, and I physically just couldn't get out of bed. I was awake, but I just couldn't kick those covers off. And this happened like three days in a row. And I felt terrible about myself because I was missing writing days and, you know, all that guilt that writers put on themselves. And then I realized, you know, smart guy that I am, I could just bring my laptop downstairs and have it by the side of my bed. 
Um, so since that point, my writing routine is wake up a quarter after five, turn on the light and grab the laptop and start re rereading what I wrote the day before. Um, or even going back to the beginning of that chapter that I'm working on and starting from the beginning. Um, so there's no, there's no coffee, there's no tea, there's no special music, there's no incense. It's just uh, me propped up in bed um, trying to write it at, at that ungodly hour. Uh, you're, you're from the Buffalo, New York area. So what is your favorite part of, of living in the Buffalo area? You know, there, you know, Buffalo gets a bad rap because of the snow we get and uh, the weather and, you know, all the late night jokes. Uh, but Buffalo is kind of a unique place. It, it, what I, I think I, I, I love the most, maybe not the most, but one thing I do love is there's so much 19th century architecture here that is just stunning and remains intact. So when I write about a place like the, the Hotel Lafayette or the old... Um, a sane asylum. Those places are still open and intact. And I can go and sit in the lobby uh, or sit at the bar and kind of soak in that atmosphere and daydream and, and take notes. Uh, so I love that, that nostalgia, that history that's here. Uh, but Buffalo, the, I, I think if I have to say one thing, Buffalo people, um, and maybe it's the same in, in other Rust Belt cities, uh, they're, they're resilient. Um, you know, we get three feet of snow. All right we'll plow each other out. We'll help each other and we'll make sure we'll get to the bills game. And when we get to the stadium, we'll shovel out the stadium too. Um, that's kind of the, 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 the Buffalo mentality. Um, and I love that. I love the um, ethnic makeup of the city. You know, traditionally it was Irish and Italian and Polish uh, with a few of us Greeks sprinkled in. And then with changing demographics, you know, now we're getting a, a North African and Middle Eastern and, um, uh, you know, South American uh, influx of immigrants and they bring with them their own culture. Um, so there's a flourishing restaurant scene. Um, I, I myself live in the Hispanic part of town in a 1865 Victorian I'm trying to restore. Uh, so it's just a really cool, quirky, weird, idiosyncratic place that, um, that people should come and check out because it's it's really a, a fun place to to live and believe it or not, uh, visit and vacation here. Stephen, thank you for appearing on Ap Apollo Papyrus. You were a wonderful guest. Oh, thank you so much. I had a good time. It's always wonderful to interview historical fiction authors. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write and read your passion. Bye for now. Remember to subscribe to the Apollo Papyrus YouTube channel at www.youtube.com forward slash at Apollo Papyrus and the Apollo Papyrus Substack newsletter at apollopapyrus.substack.com. Y'all can visit the Apollo Papyrus website at camparinapollo.witsite.com forward slash Apollo Papyrus and follow Apollo Papyrus on threads, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at Apollo Papyrus. Copy Copyright 2024, Aaron Apollo Camp, all rights reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission
duration of this episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.